We are going to continue in our foundation series. Last week we talked about work, and this week we're talking about rest. Um, and I love pairing these two together because, because it's a great idea. That's literally all I have to say. I love pairing these two together because it's a great idea. And uh, in talking about work, <coughs> really, we wanted, I wanted to reframe how we think about work. Um, in talking about rest, it's very different because um, a lot of us need convinced that this is actually important. <laughs> work, we know, this is important. I do it the majority of my week. Rest is like, you know, an add-on. That's really nice if we get it. Um, but not so important to sacrifice other things for it. And I think God has more for us than that. Um, America in particular, we hear all the time, be more, do more, get more, have more, right? And so we're constantly trying to keep up this flurry of activity so that we can accomplish those three goals to be more, to do more, and to have more. And it's exhausting. <laughs> and it is actually never fully attainable. Um, and so I love, I wanna start off by this quote, and I will give anyone $5 if you can tell me who said this quote. Actually, I don't have $5, so I will owe you $5 <laughs> if you know who said this quote. I have an iron will, and all of my will has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Any guesses, Miss Pat? No. That's a great guess, though. No. Madonna. Madonna, arguably the most recognizable, she doesn't even need two names, one name. Madonna, recognizable globally. And she's saying she has a horrible, not just fear, but feeling of mediocrity. And honestly, if Madonna can't get there, there's no hope. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for you, sorry. But like, if Madonna cannot get there, we're screwed right? What she's saying is she's been more. She's done more. She's gotten more. And at her core, it has not changed her. And so if we are driven, and this leads absolutely into where we claim our identity and where we find the confidence of who we are in our, in our soul, whole nother sermon, but what I want to focus on is, is the exhaustion that comes when this is what we're aiming for, to prove that we're somebody, to have enough so when people come in my home, they think, she's legit. 
She likes some weird old vintage weird stuff, but she's legit, right? Not for you, but for me. Okay, so we're gonna go, last week we started all the way back at the beginning and looked at how God created us. And we're actually gonna go right back there. So we're gonna be in Genesis 2. We're gonna start just in verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, which I think is so interesting because God is, has a cosmic amount of energy. <laughs> I rest because my eyes are heavy um, or because I cannot possibly play dinosaurs one more time. They don't even talk to each other. They just crash into each other. That's literally all they do. So, right, I rest out of exhaustion. I rest out of need. God has no need. He has no exhaustion. But he finishes his work, which we talked about. God is a worker. God is a creator. Finishes that and then rests. And so, at the risk of sounding like a, wait, what's the saying? Broken drum? No. Broken record. Thank you. Broken record. We are made in God's image. We have his image implanted inside our very being. The most important thing about you is that you carry the image of God in your soul, which gives you divine worth and importance. This means that you are worthy of love and acceptance and safety. The most important thing about you. So we look at this and we say, okay, if we carry God's image in our soul, then we, we mimic them in the world, right? So God works last week. God works, we work. We work not to be accepted, but we work for the good of the world. God rests, so we rest, right? Work and rest live in this symbiotic relationship. They are not opposites. The opposite of work is actually sleep, which is what I count most of the time as rest, <laughs> right? Um, the opposite of work is not rest. They are partners. They work together to form a well-rounded life. So God rests. And then we move into verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. If you didn't get in verse 2 that God rests, the author puts it right here in verse 3, repeating themselves. God rests, oh, also he rested. Okay, don't forget God rested. But we're going to actually look at two other words in this verse. We're going to look at blessed and made holy. So blessed is the Hebrew word barak, like our former president. Um, and God blesses three times, actually, in the creation narrative. The first, he blesses animals. And that blessing, that barak, is to be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Then he blesses, he baraks humans to exact same thing. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. 
And we talked about last week, this isn't just make babies. This is create culture, right? Create a better world. So he blesses animals, humans, and then a day. It doesn't really fit in the pattern to me. But what God is doing here is he's, they are telling us the Sabbath has the ability to produce life. Just like animals, just like humans, the Sabbath can procreate. The Sabbath can fill the world up with life. And so God blesses this rest as he is blessing procreation and filling the world. So we have God resting, we have God blessing, and then it says he makes it holy. And this Hebrew word is kadosh. And it's usually used in scripture actually to describe God himself, themselves. Um, and rabbis who we should principally be learning from as we look into their scriptures, their Hebrew scriptures. Rabbis often tell us there is a, they call it the principle of the first mention, meaning that the first time you see a word in scripture kind of defines how it's going to be used as it plays out in scripture. It gives you the broadest definition of what that word, how it's going to be used from here on out, right? The first time we see the word for holy is not describing God, is describing time, <laughs> is describing the seventh day. And it's so interesting that it's not a place. We're very used to religions having a holy place. Where I grew up in the South, you couldn't eat in the, this was called the sanctuary, because it was a holy place, right? Manny, that coffee would be illegal, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, Islam has Mecca. Clevelanders have the dog pound. We have places that are holy to us that carry significant meaning and it changes the way we interact. God actually doesn't make the first holy thing a place. He makes it time. I love Abraham Heschel says, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Meaning, this time is where we are in awe of God. The great cathedrals, you step in, and it's just awe-inspiring. Instead of a place for followers of Jesus, it is time, which is fascinating. Fascinating. So for six days, we produce and we wrestle with the, the world that we live in, we build civilization, we create culture, and then on the Sabbath, we savor the world of time. We slow down, we take a breath, we drink it in. And this is so important that 
we then hear about it. I mean, we hear about it all throughout Scripture, but it shows up in the Ten Commandments. Okay, so we're going to look at the first set of Ten Commandments in Exodus. All right, here we go. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. We get that hearkening back to the creation narrative that we have. Same language. Blessed and holy. Because this day is blessed, because it can produce life, because it is holy, we rest. And I love that Moses says remember. (laughs) Starts it with remember. Don't forget. Don't forget to keep the Sabbath set apart. I love Walter Brueggemann, which honestly, did this kid, this seven-year-old kid named Walter Brueggemann have any chance of becoming anything but a Bible scholar? Like, that is, I'm like, I will trust whatever you say because your name is Walter Brueggemann. Okay, anyway, that's ridiculous. But anyway, he says, Moses knows that prosperity breeds amnesia. And so the Israelites are getting ready to create their own culture, their own life. And he says, but remember, don't forget the Sabbath. And what does he ground this command in? Creation. Actually, this is the longest command of the ten by far. This takes up over 30% of the passage where we get all ten commandments. The longest by far. He says, don't forget Because, because why? Because creation. Oh, wait, go back. Oh, you're fine. Because creation. Because for six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Sabbath is not just a day to stop working. It's a day to delight in our creation, in God's creation. Dan Allender says, Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy. Because a, day, because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. That is interesting. But we're grounding this command in the delight of creation, the rhythm of creation. Work six days and Sabbath. Now, I'm not talking about work for your employer six days. That is definitely not what I'm saying. But I'm saying put your hands to work six days. The Sabbath is not a day for running errands and paying bills, is what I'm saying. On the Sabbath, you rest. You delight in creation. It 
The Sabbath is the day to drink your coffee while it's hot and sit on the couch. I think of sitting on my porch and watching the sunset on my glider. Actually, can I see the sunset on my porch? I don't, I can never remember actually which direction my house faces. <laughs> One time Nate's cousin asked me uh, which side of the street my house was on and I said the left. And then he and Nate looked at me like I was an idiot. And then I realized as I was saying it, oh, it's only on the left when I'm coming from one direction. I think it's the north side, which doesn't tell me anything because I don't understand directions. But in my perfect Sabbath, I'm sitting on my glider watching the sunset because I can see it from my house, theoretically. Right? It's those types of things that just fill your soul. The other week, my, one of my closest friends and her wife visited, and we sat on our couch and on our floor with like six people, and we just talked and laughed, and it got dark, and I was under a blanket, and I thought, my soul is so full. My soul was so full. That is a Sabbath rest. That is a Sabbath delight. And that, just like we talked about work as worship, that can be worship. When we enjoy the world as God intended, it calls attention to their, the beauty that they created and it becomes worship. When you let gratitude seep into your soul and you see it happening around you, that becomes worship. And so we rest grounded in the delight of creation. So then after Exodus, um, the Israelites actually wander around for 40 years, and before they can enter into the land God has for them, called the promised land, um, Moses is super old, and like most old men do, he starts telling the same stories over and over again, <laughs> right? There's actually nothing more Father's Day than the Israelites pretending they haven't heard the Ten Commandments before, as Moses gives it the second time, okay? So Deuteronomy actually I forget how it's broken up, but it essentially means second law. And it's a sermon from Moses at the end of his life before the Israelites go into the promised land where he is. He's kind of retelling these stories, and we get a second Ten Commandments. And so uh, they're almost identical, but in a very important way, they're very different. Okay, so we're going to read it. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Okay, instead of remember, we have observe. But it's basically the same thing, right? As the Lord your God's commanded you, six days you shall labor, do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor male and female, nor ox, donkey, any of your animals, 
nor any foreigners residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do, period. Almost exactly the same. Now look at this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Interesting. So he doesn't go back to creation. It's not delight and rhythm. This is protest. This is an act of resistance. As, again, Walter Brueggemann, we trust what he says. Sabbath as an act of resistance. So in Exodus at Mount Sinai, it's a way of saying yes to God and his world. In Deuteronomy, it's saying no to Egypt and its system. At Sinai, it's saying yes to delight. In Deuteronomy, it's saying no to Egypt's way of life. This is an act of resistance to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, their oppressor, and an act of alignment with their God. And Pharaoh today is alive and well. And his system is alive and well. We don't call it Egypt. We call it capitalism. We call it Black Friday. We call it free trade, right? This is the system that we're living in. Pharaoh is the voice in your head that says, work harder, work faster, work longer, accomplish more. Pharaoh and his system, the system we live in, tells us, own more, get more, have more. In America today, storage units are a $38 billion industry taking up 2.3 billion square feet, enough for every single American to have over seven square feet to themselves, meaning that we could virtually house almost every person in this nation in our storage units alone. We are filling our lives with things. Sabbath is a way to say enough. Sabbath is a way to say, I'm protesting this system, and I will not participate in this accumulation. Sabbath is a way to say, I have enough. I am enough. Because more, 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 more is exhausting. It's exhausting. And we think it's freedom, but it's bondage. And it can trap you, just like Madonna says. Madonna is trapped, and I'm so sad for her. So in comes Jesus. As all good sermons say, in comes Jesus. And look what Jesus says. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the message version and it, 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 oh, it soothes it soothes my soul. Jesus is the embodiment of the Sabbath. 
He is God's rest in human form. And as much as he is God's rest, he is a healer. And overwhelmingly, if you look at Jesus' life, the healing that he does overwhelmingly happens on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is a day to heal. The Sabbath is a day when you feel beat up and tired and worn out that you come to the Sabbath and you can refill your soul. The Sabbath is like a doctor. The God of the Sabbath meets you in that time. God of the Sabbath meets you anytime. But when we set up the rhythms of our life, to refill our soul, they'll do it. They'll do it. And so as you're looking, as you're looking at creating this space for yourself, first of all, let me say this. In small group this week, we're going to look at some practicalities of how to create a Sabbath, how to start that practice in your life. If you're not able to come to small group or you're listening online, you can go to practicingtheway.org and they have a great resource on setting up practicalities of Sabbath in your life. And it's fantastic, but I would also encourage you to not go through it alone, to go through it with people. So as we're looking at creating this, there are a couple of criteria, rest, and worship. And that's it. Isn't it beautiful that that's all we have to account for? Not a list, not bullet points, just rest and worship. And if you're thinking of your day, and maybe for you a day right now is just too much. Maybe you do an afternoon. Maybe you start with two hours. And you say, okay, is this rest and is this worship? And if it's not, it's out. On the Sabbath, you rest and you worship. That's it. And remember, worship is, is the gratitude of God's creation. Worship is looking at God and seeing them in your world. Jews have been practicing this for, I mean, millennia. They're the experts. We learn from them. And I love, they have another word called manua. I'm, I know I'm saying that wrong because this is the one word I forgot to look up how to pronounce. Um, but it's, it's translated as rest. It's also translated as happiness. So again, this isn't a nap. It's not that you just stop working and sit on the couch staring into the abyss for one day a week. It's about cultivating this environment, this atmosphere to enjoy your life, to enjoy your world, and to enjoy God. It's more of a mode of being than it is a 24-hour time slot, which is why, which is why it seeps in to our entire lives. We're going back to Walter. What does Walter tell us? He tells us, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. God, thanks, Walter. He's killing it today. He's really carrying this for me. 
right? It's, we're not just talking about becoming a robot for one day so you can recharge. We're talking about creating a rhythm for your life that makes all week look different. It's not just a pause button. It's a restart. Sabbath is a chance to take a look at our lives and retune them to the right key to make sure our life is shaped around what really matters. The Sabbath is a memorial. It looks back to creation. It looks back to freedom from slavery. And it also looks ahead to a life with Jesus. It looks ahead to a new earth where we work for the joy of it and we create for the pleasure of it and there's no more tears or sorrow or sadness or insecurity. There's no more accumulation. There's just Jesus. The Sabbath looks back and it looks ahead and it grounds us in where we are moving forward. Right? This is actually, it's justice. The Sabbath is a day of justice every week. Can you imagine if the people of God were not ordering from Amazon on the Sabbath? If the people of God all around the globe were able to rest, if they have that privilege? Can you imagine if the people of God chose Sabbath? How that would change systems. How that could break us free from Egypt. How that could be a signpost to a lonely and exhausted and storage unit filling world. Sabbath not only has the potential to absolutely revolutionize and change our souls, but our communities and our world. And you are the people that, you're the people that I want to do that with. You're the people that I want to Sabbath with, that I want to rest with, and that I want people to see a changed life with. I think we can be that together. Let's pray.